1: Life is full of questions, some more important than others. So we'll see today. We've got the greatest question for life next with today's edition of Truth for today. Ask 100 people the first question they'll ask God when you get to heaven, and they'll give you 100 different answers. But there is life's greatest question that we have before us today. Welcome, this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, the ministry of Valley Bible Church right here in Hercules. We would invite you to join us today as we examine life's greatest question and its answer. And it's all straight from God's Word. Here's Pastor Phil Howard now with today's broadcast of Truth For Today.
2: Well, I want to speak on life's greatest question. If you don't have the right answer on this question, uh, there's just no, you either get an A or an F. It's passing, no passing course. The greatest question in life. Jesus said, what would a man or a woman give in exchange for their soul? And I can name you a lot of things. Money, sex, pleasure, power, uh, pride, uh, religiosity instead of uh, regeneration. A form of being godly, but as empty as you can be. Uh, The vocabulary without the reality. Uh, To name it, but not have it. To call him Lord and not do a thing he says. There's a thousand ways you can sell your soul, and many have sold Christ out for cheaper than 30 pieces of silver. They've been weighed in the balances and when Satan offers them the kingdoms of this world, they say, I want that. They only go to God as a last resort. And many times we come to God not to be saved, but just to um, uh, unload all that's wrong with us, but we don't really want him. And he's not so foolish as not to understand. What is life's greatest question? Of all places for it to be asked, Paul and Silas... Involved in preaching. They wind up in jail. And while they're in jail, God begins to deliver them. And the place begins to rock. Nothing to do with Elvis. And uh, the jailhouse is rocking, literally. And uh, uh, there's a jailer there that becomes scared to death. He thinks he's going to die. In verse 29 of Acts, the jailer called for lights when this earthquake is going on. This divine deliverance. And the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. That question, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Let me share some concerns with you before I answer the question. Concerns I have for a day of a simplistic gospel message in which Paul writes the book of Romans and he spends 15 chapters explaining the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. By it is the power of God unleashed. But he spends 15 chapters almost explaining the ramifications of it. I'm concerned today at how little content people are believing to think that they're saved. That we've reduced Christianity to the smallest if you just uh, accept Jesus in your heart. Uh, or if you'll just say you believe, or if you'll repeat this prayer, or if you'll make a decision for Jesus, raise your hand. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of it. I'm seeing the fruit of it. People who've done things. I hear this a lot. I received Christ when I was seven years old. Dropped out of the church for 30. Now I'm back. As though they got saved at seven. I would just caution children's workers, It's easy to get a child sometimes to raise their hand under peer pressure or out of a desire to please an adult. But we must convince that child that raising your hand doesn't save. Raising your hand does not save. Something more than raising a hand must be understood by that child to know they're saved, I don't want to interview them at in a membership class and say, how do you know you're going to heaven? I raised my hand when I was seven in junior church. That's not good enough. Why did you raise your hand? What were you believing? What were you trusting? Were you aware of anything else besides that going on? We'll get there. Uh, I'm concerned about Christians whose lives have not been changed. They claim to be Christians. And uh, with their mouth they say they're believers. But look at Titus one sixteen as a point of reference. Titus chapter one verse sixteen. And then we're going to go to Matthew seven. So while you're doing your hunting, just save a place to come back. Notice one sixteen. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. The false professors of the day of Paul, they claim to know him, but their actions deny him. James 2.14 says, they have a faith that does not work. They have a faith of demons that can say there is God, there is these truths, wonderful But their belief in those truths has not been deep enough to affect their behavior. They are saved without behavior change. And I'm amazed that in this day and time, when I see all kinds of strange breeds in the church, like the many animals on the ark, that you have to get up and say to a church, salvation changes people. Salvation changes behavior. You become a new creation in Christ. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. That there is a breaking. Christ said in Matthew 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in which he is saying, Unless you have a righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter into heaven or into his kingdom. And he says, Let me tell you what a man is like who builds his house on the rock. He hears these sayings of mine and he does them. He's built on the rock. The man who builds on sand hears the same truth, hears the same teacher, but he does not do them. He's like a man who's building his house on the sand. The storm will come and great will be the destruction thereof. God has not brought a salvation to mankind that is so anemic it can't change him. That is anathema gospel. It is not a works gospel. It's a gospel that takes an insane Jewish zealot named Paul and turns him around and makes him the apostle. It emptied the houses of prostitution in Corinth. It took men and led them out of every kind of lifestyle imaginable. And today in the church, we're almost in the name of grace saying, we can't expect any change. You might corrupt grace. I want to tell you, the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and pursue being godly people. And I find in my own self, as we will go through this message If you heard my tapes 10 years ago, you won't believe it's the same man, because I've changed. I used to make it too easy. All I was ever interested in doing is getting people eternally secure. And I'm finding out Christ never told anybody they were secure in their sin. Christ never told anybody you're secure in your sin. If you're in sin, you don't have the right to security and you probably should lose assurance and you need to examine yourself and see if you be in the faith. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Peter said, examine yourselves and make your election and calling sure. Be sure, be sure, be sure. You can't afford to fail this test. And I don't need a whole lot of amens. Keep it quiet if you want. I just want you to get what I'm saying. Are you with me? Uh, To think you can be saved without being changed is anathema gospel. To think you can get a savior without getting a master is anathema. To think that Christ is good enough to die for me, but he's not good enough to tell me what to do is anathema. A faith that does nothing but assert rote presentations Four steps to salvation. Or if you just said he died, he was buried, rose again, I'm saved. No, you're not. You just got a good rote memory. Those truths mean nothing until quickened by the Spirit of God. I believed them all my life, but I wasn't saved all my life. I didn't believe them in a biblical sense. Grace without works, faith that does not work, is a faith that does not work. And it won't get you to heaven. I'm concerned about uh, decisionism. That all the emphasis is make a decision for God. It's unbiblical language. We're not making a decision for God. We're receiving a gift from God. And you do it in a point in time. I know that. But we must be careful that we don't say our salvation is I've got faith in my decision. Faith in faith doesn't save Faith in Jesus alone saves. It's not faith in faith. I raised my hand, I must be saved. God owes me eternal life. But where have you been since? Well, I just did it one Sunday. Uh, I got the pressure off. I'm going to heaven. No, you're not. When you become a believer, you follow Christ for the rest of your life. It's following the Lord Jesus. It's not looking back, well, I did it. I got baptized. I raised a hand. Be, be leery of it. It's why I don't make an invitation every Sunday. And I don't believe in a whole lot of pressure. Because pressure from human point of view, I do not believe saves. I believe it leads to many false professions. Because people get touched, they get moved. And raise a hand, do it, boom. I've had people nearly pull you out of your chair. I, I was afraid. Sometime when I'd go to church, I'd get in the middle aisle. It's hard to get out. You know, if you sit on the side, we're going to get you easier. If you sit in the middle, you kind of just, it was easier. Now I used to think, oh, I hope they don't call me out. I hope the evangelist isn't going to, uh, no, no. And so I learned to clinch real good. you seem seen just as I am all you want, I ain't coming. And I'd get through it, you know. But in God's time, God's way, with a very poor preacher, I wouldn't even call him a preacher, don't even know the message, I was born. Well, let me keep telling you my concerns, and you think I I have to be concerned. Hear me now. I am a doctor of souls around here. People come to me for counseling, for issues, and the moment I start talking to them, I have to make Serious appraisal. Am I talking to a believer or an unbeliever? Am I talking to somebody that thinks they're saved but they're not? Do you follow what I'm saying? Because I'll start prescribing something for their foot when it's really their ear that's hurting. But in love, I say, oh, they could, they, everybody's saved. It says they are. No, I, anymore. I used to just say, you're saved. Well, good. You've you got assurance. Now I just kind of look at, are you? How dare you question my salvation? Oh, i got every right to. If you're really saved, you want to talk about it. If you really know him, I can't ask you enough questions about him. If you don't know, him, say, hey, hey, now don't mess. I'm here. Leave me alone. You quit preaching and gone demanding. You know, what do you mean asking me? Do I love him? Do I pray? Do I follow his word? That's none of your business. You act like a preacher, right? Because Walking in this building didn't make you a Christian. And the best part of your life, I see one hour when you're just quiet or laughing here. What do you live like Monday through Saturday? I don't get to see usually. Does it work on Monday? Do your kids think you're saved? Get in there! I'm saved! Yeah. It's really made a change, hasn't it? Does your employer think you're saved? Does anybody know you're really saved because you act saved and you can't hide it? I'm weary with easy believism. Just believe the gospel and you're saved. Well, that that's nice. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, uh, don't ask him to do anything, and, and, and believing you believe Jesus died, don't you? Yeah, he, he was buried, rose again. You believe that? Don't? Well, yeah, yeah, I do. Well, you're saved. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Thank you. Just write it here on a card. You said it today, and repeat after me: uh, Lord Jesus, I take you into my heart. Jesus, I take you in my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Be my Lord and Savior. Amen. You're now in the kingdom. Are they? Some are. Some aren't. We want to be careful. Because if we give them false assurance, they may ride on that the rest of their life and keep saying they're saved when they're not. And they still go to hell. Would that be true? Could you say all your life you're saved and ultimately be lost? What about this one? Hello, Lord. Good to see you. I'm not, I don't think they'll talk that way, quite frankly. You don't talk that way to a judge. Oh, hi, judge. Shut up. You don't do that in the court. When we sing, Lord, Lord, hello. Hi. Lord, you remember me? Yeah. I'm the one that's been casting out demons in your name. Good. Well, I've held a few revivals in your name. I might have pastored in your name. I might have done this in your name. But you know, when you're casting out demons, the other looks easy. And uh, the Lord says, You know, you've got my name right, but you don't have the relationship right. I don't know you. Now, it doesn't mean I don't know you factually. But when he uses that word no, relationally, I don't know you. I don't call you one of mine. And yet you've been acting in the realm of religion, and I've been letting you get away with it, and you think you're going to dance into heaven because you've used religion to probably uh, put money in your pocket and to be in the spotlight and influence people, but you don't know me, and I don't know you. You just know church lingo. You know I am Lord. You're right about that but you don't have a relationship. I don't claim you. Depart from me and go into outer darkness. You are an imposter. We don't think that's serious enough. I'm convinced most people in church work aren't going to heaven. Most pastors aren't going to heaven. If you think that's a negative view, I'm sorry. You ought to talk to men that deny that the Bible is the word of God. You ought to meet men that don't believe Jesus is enough. You ought to talk to men that don't believe the blood covers sin. You ought to talk to men that don't believe there's a heaven and a hell. That's just a hangover from a barbaric age. There are more men in pulpits today that don't believe Jesus is God than there is guys that do. Don't be duped. The easy way to go to hell is to join a liberal church and slide in easy. You want to go to a church that tells you you need to know Christ personally by faith through grace and it will change your life. Now let me tell you some concepts I think we need to know. I'm not just dealing with the text. I'm just, I just got to get this all out before I tell you how to be saved. And it's so simple. Don't, don't worry. I don't have anything new. I just want things in focus. Uh, when we deal with people about being saved, two concepts I think we need to make clear. Number one, God is a God that is so righteous, He's going to righteously judge the unsaved for their sins. He is a God who is a judge. I preached last week on the Father's heart. He loves. He absolutely does. But the Bible also says, those who don't want to come to Him, those who continue to reject Him, will become the objects of His righteous anger, His righteous wrath, and He in holiness can say, depart from me forever and never have anything more to do with them because they've rejected God. We need to see that. Romans starts with that, that God is pouring out wrath from heaven and giving men up to do their own sin. Second of all, I think we need to be clear. We do not talk about it. It sounds legalistic and rigid. I know that. To tell people they're sinners The first three chapters of Romans, before it offers people salvation, goes to court with them and say, You're guilty before God, and the law was given that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world, Jew and Gentile, says, I'm guilty as charged. All have sinned. All are coming short of the glory of God. I've broken His commandments. My feet have been swift to shed blood. My mouth has the venom of asp in it. I have all of these problems. Romans, you've convinced me I am a sinner. I am worthy of the judgment of God. I'm condemned. You've won the case. I'm guilty as charged. Now I've got a problem. I'm guilty before a righteous judge. How can I get out of this courtroom alive? I'm afraid that when we preach on man's losses... We say the preacher is hard. He's gone to barbaric hellfire preaching. That he uh, he's not current. Doesn't he know that uh, uh, we need something softer, soothing? You must come to see yourself as a guilty sinner before you'll ever be saved. And I don't care if you're a preacher's kid, a deacon's kid. I don't care if you've been raised on the pew. You are a sinner worthy of God's wrath. That is the biblical view of God. He's not impressed with your low-down sin. It offends Him. You don't nail a Savior on the cross when you're not taking the crime seriously. We are guilty before God, and that is exactly what Romans says. But in the church today, we're no longer telling anybody you're a sinner. You're wrong. You're in rebellion against God. You cannot have the blessing of God until there's a change in you. You're guilty. Where are you going to get a pardon? A man that's already been indicted and the indictment has been proved to be valid needs either a good lawyer or a good payment. And that's where the good news comes in. The good news is good news to somebody who knows they're condemned, they're lost, I don't need good news. Maybe you know I see people come to church. I come to why do you come to church? I want a, a better marriage. You can have a good marriage and go to hell. Well, I come to the church. I used to hear guys tell me I go to church to find a good woman. You might marry a good woman and still go to hell. Uh, well, I come to church because it, it's a nice social. Life. That's a, do you ever acknowledge you're a sinner? And that you're guilty and you need a great savior and you're wanting to discover the mercy and grace of God that can pardon us of our sins and give us a righteous standing before God. This is the gospel, that guilty people can be pardoned through Christ. And when we're pardoned through Christ, he changes our life forever.
1: And with that, we come to the end of our time together here on Truth For Today, the ministry of Alley Bible Church here in Hercules with our teacher and pastor, Pastor Phil Howard. Thank you for spending time with us today. Our prayer is you are growing in grace, growing in God's love as you take the time to study God's Word with us on a regular basis here on Truth For Today. If you have questions about the broadcast, feel free to write or call us. Our phone number is 855-833-9864, or write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278. And that's in Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. As always, you're welcome to visit us online, truthfortodayradio.org. That's truthfortodayradio.org. Also, men, please mark it on your calendar and plan on joining us for our men's conference. That will be taking place Friday and Saturday, March 8th and 9th. Check-in begins Friday at 530, and all day Saturday, March 9th, breakfast begins at 8am. Now, the price for the conference does include dinner Friday night, breakfast and lunch on Saturday. Who should attend? Well, the conference is for men who want a closer walk with Christ and seek fellowship and inspiration from other men who want the same. And you should attend because it does promote spiritual growth and enlightenment. Our special keynote speakers are not only our own Pastor Phil Howard, but Pastor Jesse Gastand from Grace Bible Church in Hayward. For further information, again, simply stop by truthfortodayradio.org or give us a call 855-833-9864. And then